I want to encourage you to grab your Bible and open up to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. One of the things, and we're, we're going to be starting at verse 19, for those of you needing a little help, that's page 920 in the pew Bibles that we have provided. One of the things in my, my short tenure as, as a pastor, but my long tenure in the church, is I have noticed that, um, that the American church is really caught up in, um, uh, in American culture. I have seen, uh, especially it's been highlighted to me at, since we have started Missio Day Church some five years ago, the, uh, the way that... Um, it is prescribed to grow a church the best way. And it's not with Tessa right now, you know. We believe in multiplication. Um, one of the ways that uh, we have seen, I have seen how the church grows or that pastors desire, desire to grow the church is through um, American means. In my past few years, I, I've seen this. I have seen these amazing acts around Easter. Maybe you've heard of these same things during Easter time where a church will rent a helicopter. And from that helicopter, they will do an Easter egg drop. Have you heard of that? And mass chaos and mayhem ensues because all these children want to be in the midst of this Easter egg drop. It's the sensational thing of dropping eggs. I've also seen a, a church. Um, maybe it was a particularly wealthy person in the church. I don't know. Or maybe the church used its own funds. But around Easter time, they were raffling off a car. But you had to be present to win. So on Easter Sunday, of course, there were gajillions of people hoping to win that car and the pastor was just hoping to share the Easter message. We've seen all kinds of sensational ways to just grow the church. If you would just do this, if you would just do this, if you would just do this, this would grow the church. This morning we are going to look at the church of Antioch. We're probably week 25-ish in our 60-some in our week series. And we're looking carefully at, this morning, the church of Antioch. A church that God blessed and received his blessing. So follow along with me, starting at verse 19. And hear the word of the Lord. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyrus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except the Jews. But there were some of them men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas and to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them to all remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added 
to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarshish to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. In Antioch, and in Antioch, the disciples first were called Christians. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. And this took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to his brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. This is the word of the Lord. So we live in a, in a day and an age where the evangelical church seeks to build its attention, build its attendance by gimmicks and often entertainment. Years ago, uh, when this trend in the church started to really take hold, there was a man, a well-known man, if uh, you know church history. Um, his name was Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Many people just called him the doctor. And Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones told a group at Westminster Chapel in London, where he was a pastor, that he knew a way that would ensure that every seat in Westminster Chapel would be, would be filled. It would be cheek-to-cheek in every pew. And he knew a way that would guarantee it. But to understand this, you have got to understand something about uh, the doctor. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a man who, every Sunday morning, he dressed in a three-piece suit. This man was well-dressed. He was a proper Welshman that he knew his ministry and he knew his clothing. Even in his biography, um, you see a picture of him well-dressed. And it's even punctuated even more because there was a picture of one day he was spending a day with his family at the beach. And what was Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones wearing? A suit. A suit. And so the people in his church said, tell us, tell us how this is possible that you can guarantee that the next Sunday this church would be packed full. And he said, well, this is what I want you to do. It's very simple. He said, Put a notice in the Sunday edition of the London Times that I shall appear in the pulpit the next day wearing a bathing suit. This church was dumbstruck. They could not even speak. They were in shock that he would even say that kind of thing. But he goes on to share with his congregation the biblical basis for proper worship as opposed to the approach of using entertainment to entice people to come to church. Pastors flock. Pastors flock to seminars today in in ways that would tell them how to market the church. How can we market the church? They learn ways to make the church far more user-friendly for outsiders, they're taught how to shorten the sermon and make it non-threatening to the unchurched while they use multimedia and drama to get the message across. And let me tell you, none of these things are necessarily evil or bad. And these methods do work. Some of the largest evangelical churches in the world today 
use these methods. And they, they teach them to thousands of pastors who do see dramatic results. But in our text, we see another picture. Another picture of impressive church growth. And it comes from a small group of persecuted uh, Christians who fled the area of Jerusalem all because of Stephen's uh, martyrdom. And they, they flee. They just spread all throughout the area. And in fact, they see large numbers of people come to Christ. Luke punctuates it three times in this text. He punctuates that there were just huge numbers of people coming to Christ. And it had to be an exciting time. But the reason that the church experienced this remarkable growth was not because the leaders employed the latest, best church growth principles. They didn't study the demographics of Antioch and say, okay, to reach this, the Cyrenes, to reach these people, to reach these people, we've got to change the message, we've got to do these kind of things. These people like song and dance, these people like this, these people like that. They didn't study the demographics and say, what should we do? Instead, the reason for the growth was simple. And we see this in verse 21. The hand of the Lord was with them. The hand of the Lord was with them. This was a church that God was blessing. And that should be our aim as well. That the Lord's hand would be with us. But what does that look like? What does, it, what does it really look like for God's hand to be with us? And what, what does it look like for us to experience God's hand? Well, I believe that there are at least seven principles in this text that we can look at and just really get into and see how does God bless this church. And let me be clear. These are principles, but these we've got to be careful that we don't look to see this as a math problem. God doesn't always work mathematically like we like him to, right? If you do this and you do this and you do this, this will happen right? We, we, we know that there are pastors, I've preached about this before, that there are pastors who preach the gospel faithfully, clearly, concisely. They disciple people inside and out for years. And for some reason, in God's economy, in God's wisdom, he does not grow mammoth churches, but he keeps them small. So we've got to be careful to say, okay, Paul we're, we're employing these seven principles, right? And if we do that, we're going to have a large church, right? The answer is, I don't know what God is going to do. But he calls us to be faithful, right? So hear that first. First thing, I believe that God blesses a church where every member is a minister. God blesses a church where every member is a minister. You see this in this first section. The founding and the, and the prospering of this, this church was arguably probably one of the most significant events in the history of Western civilization. civilization. It, it, was, it was led to distinctiveness of the Christian church apart from the, the Jewish synagogue it, in that it was blending together into one body, Jews and Gentiles, blending together in this absolute beautiful perfect harmony blending together it was here that the followers of jesus christ were first known as christians 
And it was even from Antioch that the church launched, launched its first mission to Europe. So this, this strange little bubble of Christians became the impetus for world missions. One of the remarkable features of this is how it started. It wasn't founded by, note, it was not founded by apostles. It was not founded by pastors or trained missionaries. And I love that. What do you see instead? Rather, it was some unnamed men who were scattered abroad. And I love the fact that Luke, the author of Acts, does not mention their names at all. Because if you mention their names, automatically you start going, oh, it was Alexander, the great Alexander, the great starter of this church. I, I can never match up to that person. Instead, he leaves them nameless. An empty face. And what did they do? They started telling the good news of Jesus Christ. In, in verse 19 and 20, there's this word, this, uh, how, how they talk about, but there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, on coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, and it, it goes on to say later on in verse 20, the hand of the Lord was with them, and great number of them returned to the Lord. The report got back. It, it, it talks about, man, they, they were just speaking, right? They were just speaking. And this word here used in the Greek is not what I'm doing. It's not about preaching. It's about natural conversation. They were just talking about the Lord with people. Common, everyday people talking about the Lord. Common, everyday people like you talking about the Lord. Blue collar, white collar, who knows who these people are. You can put your own description in, right? Maybe they were doctors. Maybe they were plumbers. Maybe they were great farmers. Maybe they were physicians like Luke who is writing about this. They were common, everyday people. Luke surely knew or could have easily found out the name of, of these evangelists, but he mentions, only mentions where they were from. They were unnamed. If they had been named, we would have been holding them up as missionary heroes and view them as men who were a notch above the average church person. And we would think that it's something that we could never do. But their remaining unnamed tells us that they were common men who had met the Lord. They were common people who met the Lord, had an experience with Jesus Christ, and they could not help but speak could not help but speak about him. And that's something that we have got to remember. That it is common people. It is us. The church is made up of common people. Unnamed people. Sometimes we think of ourselves as absolutely insignificant. But that is not the case. We are significant in the kingdom of God. Because God has a plan for us to share. To speak about him. Every member has got to be a minister of the gospel in one way, shape, or form. And I'm going to tell you this. If the spreading of the gospel, the spreading of the good news of the church or the functioning of the church depends on laborers who are full-time or part 
time pastors. Let me tell you, ministry will be and is severely limited. If you are depending on me to be the sole spreader of the gospel, the ministry of Jesus Christ is going to be severely limited. We are better together where everybody is functioning as the body of Christ. We together are unnamed folks who have the best story to tell. All of us, all of us are required because of the grace that has been poured out upon us to share the good news of Jesus Christ. But there's also the second thing that I, I am seeing here, that God blesses a church where the gospel is proclaimed as the power of God to save sinners. So to understand this text, you've got to understand something about the geography and the history. For one, you have got to understand something about Antioch. Antioch was located some 300 miles north of Jerusalem, and it was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. There were half a million people who lived in Antioch. Okay, It was a large, booming metropolis. It was also the crossroads of trade and commerce. Everything was going through Antioch, so it was a multicultural center. On top of this, just outside of town, there was what was called the Grove of Daphne. Now, it's not just this beautiful arboretum of trees and pleasure, much like the Morton Arboretum. Nothing like that. Instead, the Grove of Daphne was a place where the worshipers of Artemis and Apollo pursued their religion of pleasure with temple prostitutes. Just outside of town. So sexual immorality was at an all-time high. All-time high. One of their uh, satirists of, the, of their day criticized the moral pollution of Rome by saying that the sewage from the river that flowed through Antioch had so polluted, was so polluted that as it flowed to the river of Tiber, which flowed into Rome, Rome became polluted because of what came from upstream. Some 1,300 miles away. Antioch was not this nice, neat, clean little village. It was not a place just to go for a family vacation. And I think it's significant that God picked a city that would become the center of his missionary endeavors. He picked a, a cosmopolitan, morally corrupt city like Antioch. He chose it for a purpose. And it was in this environment, common Christians, in this environment that common Christians began telling the simple gospel message that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. It came into the world to save sinners. That whoever believes in him would receive eternal life and forgiveness from their sins. It's the same gospel that this power of God for salvation came to the Jews to be the power of God for salvation for the Gentiles. It's the same good news. And at the end of verse 20, it literally reads this way. The telling the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were telling the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were telling people. 
But in telling the good news, they didn't dodge the hard matters of sin and repentance. Since we read that a large number of people who believed turned to the Lord. They turned to the Lord. This means that they gave up their their former practices of worshiping idols. It means that they, they turned from their sexual immorality. They turned from their lying. They turned from their corrupt business practices when they put their trust in Jesus Christ. When Barnabas came, what did he see? He witnessed the grace of God. He, as he came, he came into their fellowship and said, Oh, my word. I know something about Antioch. I know something about their citizens, but when I come into these, these people's lives, their homes, their worship, this is different. The grace of God is with them. The hand of the Lord is with them. This is an amazing thing. The gospel is changing these lives. These people who may have been temple prostitutes, these people who are sexually immoral these people who are this these people who are that the hand of the lord is upon them this is an amazing thing god's grace is evident here so for us one of the principles that we have got to understand is that as we share the good news of jesus christ we have got to talk about sin along with repentance the turning the sharing and this is not just with total pagans on the outside right This has got to be even in our families. I have got to be able to tell my son, you know what? You are a sinner in need of a Savior. Bubba, turn to Jesus. Turn to Jesus. Just because you're a pastor's kid does not mean that you are saved. Just because you've been born into a Christian family does not mean that you are saved. We have got to preach the same gospel to our children. So as you go downstairs and work with the children's ministry, you've got to preach that same good news to our children. Say, you know what? You need Jesus Christ. You are a sinner. And apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. You're dead. Repent. But we also need to see that God blesses a church where his grace, not legalism, his grace, not legalism, permeates the body. Not only myself, but I I saw many other commentators sense that there was a concern behind Jerusalem sending Barnabas to Antioch. Word had gotten back to Jerusalem. And can you imagine... The hubbub, hey, do you hear what's going on in Antioch? Just some common guys are sharing the news about Jesus Christ. Uh, I know, that's really great stuff. But did you hear they're worshiping together? I know, we should send somebody. Make sure that everything is on the up and up, because I'm a little freaked out. These people haven't walked with Jesus. You know, we at least walked with him for some time. I don't know what they know. You know, we got to make sure. So let's, let's send a pro. Let's send Barnabas. All kinds of alarms and red lights were going off. And it's, it's one thing when a, a God-fearing Gentile like Cornelius had become a Christian through the preaching of a leading apostle like Peter, but it's a totally different thing. That, that was stretching it for them. It was uncomfortable that, oh, a God-fearing Gentile, okay, at least it was through Peter's preaching. But now, when raw 
pagans, raw sinners from a notoriously immoral place like Antioch started coming into the church through the witness of a bunch of lay people, it was time that the mother church checked things out. We got to make sure things are right. Make sure, as they sent Barnabas, they, they were saying, make sure that Barnabas gets that Antioch situation under control. Note what Barnabas saw and how he responded. What did he see? He saw the grace of God. And how did he respond? Verse 23. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. He was glad. I love that. The first thing that he did not say is that, okay, and this is kind of like what uh, Pastor Dave last week said. You know, He didn't walk into their, their gathered worship and say, okay, all men, come with me. Yes, even your little boys. All of them after the eighth day, at least, come with me. I've got a nice sharp stone. We've got some business to take care of. Circumcision wasn't on the top of his list of legality things when it came to gathered worship, right? In fact, he, he just said, man, I, look at what God is doing in their midst. This is absolutely amazing. It is obvious that the grace of God is on him. I'm glad. I'm going to tell you, and this is a struggle for me because I grew up in a culture, and nobody likes to say this, but when you, often when you grow up in the church, you grow up in a culture of legalism. You must do this to be right with God. You must dress this way to be right with God. You must talk this way to be right with God. You must vote this way before you are right with God. You must be this kind of person before you are right with God. Listen, I want people to come into our fellowship who are absolutely messy. I want people to come into our fellowship where they walk in and they go, this is absolutely amazing. And they aren't demanding that at the door I be put together. Because it's not true with me. I'm not put together. If you get to know me, I am a wreck. I am a man, though, who has an extraordinary life only because of Jesus. I am being put together. And the same is true with you. You are a wreck. But you have an extraordinary life because of Jesus. Legalism cannot permeate this body. And we will attack it. We will attack legalism as we become aware of it. Because we want grace to permeate our church. There's a story, and Katie, I think you will appreciate it because it's talking about Howard Hendricks. Howard Hendricks, a well-known theologian from uh, Dallas Theological Seminary. Uh, Howard Hendricks tells of the time that he brought his neighbors, uh, whom he was trying to reach with the gospel. Uh, he tells the story of how he was bringing them to uh, Dallas Seminary's Founders Banquet. Now, the Founders Banquet is a major fundraising event for the se seminary. It was a huge event. This is where the cash flow would come in. And what they would do as a seminary is they would par parade the best of the best to their donors and say, look, look at what we're producing. 
and then the cash flow would just, you know, just naturally come. Well, when Hendricks got there with his neighbors, he quickly discovered that his table was front and center. And when they dimmed the lights, the spotlight on the stage shined right over their table. Not a big deal, right? Until his neighbor's cigarette smoke started curling up through the lights. For everyone in the ballroom to see. Hendrick said that he could almost hear some dear old supporters in the back grumbling. See, that's how liberalism gets started in the seminaries. But can you see how that can work in the church as well? The guy has tattoos and multiple piercings. See, that's how liberalism starts in the church. And that's how the grace of God is starting to permeate people's lives. God teaches us that we have to accept one another, just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. And we don't accept people as they walk into our lives expecting that they be put to Number four, the church blesses a church where grace is the motivation to stay true. This is closely tied to the last one. But grace has got to be our motivation for staying true to the Lord. God's grace also teaches us. God's grace as his love and his free gift of grace and love and mercy is poured out on us. It is the thing that teaches us to deny the pleasures of this world to live sensibly, to live a righteous and upright way, and to be godly in this present day and age. Barnabas could see that these new believers needed to grow in their faith, right? Every pastor knows that it's one thing to make a profession of your faith, but it's a whole other thing to persevere, to keep on keeping on to grow in holiness when temptations and trials hit. And I'm going to tell you, they do. It's a whole nother thing. Stand before the church and say, I believe in Jesus Christ. I've received his forgiveness, his grace, and I've been baptized. I'm a member of this church. And the church will applaud and say, way to go. It's a whole nother thing for the rest of your life to remain holy, to grow in holiness. Genuine conversion is a matter of the heart, and therefore Barnabas, true to his name, which means son of encouragement, began to encourage these new Christians with just to be resolute, be purposeful, to grow, to remain true. I want to encourage you guys. This is beautiful what God is doing in your lives. I love how he's taken you from this, and he's brought you to this, but I want to encourage you. Keep on Keep on growing up into Christ, who's the head of the church. You want to be holy. You want to be righteous. You want to be growing in your faith, your understanding of the gospel. You want to grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. You want to grow in this mission that God has you on. He's saying, abide. I can just hear him say, abide. Be grafted into him. Abide with him. Stay with him. Keep doing it. Because you know what, guys? He will not abandon you. 
He's not going to abandon you. I know you've gotten out of temple prostitution. I know you've gotten out of this. I know you've gotten out of this. Keep on. He will never abandon you. Though this world may abandon you, you've been purchased with a price. He will never abandon you. You feel purposeless in this world because everything seems to be falling away. You know what? He's the ultimate purpose. Remain true. Remain true. Even if it means martyrdom. Because that's a reality of the church back then. Stay true. So God blesses a church where every member is a minister. God blesses a church that preaches the gospel. That is, God saves sinners like us. God blesses a church where grace abounds and it just permeates our ministry. God blesses a church where grace is a motivation, not guilt is a motivation for growing. And God blesses a church where godly leaders set an example for holiness and faith. You see here that Luke states that Barnabas was what what kind of a man? It says that he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit. I love that description. It's obvious that when when Barnabas walked into the room, he was overweight with the Holy Spirit. He was full of the Holy Spirit. Next week, I'm going to briefly just explore Barnabas' character. Uh, So I'm going to try to be brief here. But he was a man of integrity. He was a man of integrity. He practiced what he preached. And those who knew him said he was a good man. The reason why he was a good man, he was full of the Holy Spirit, full of faith in the living God. Barnabas' heart was to seek the glory of God through building up of the church, not to build, build a name for himself. And at some point, I, I love this, that Barnabas realized that he was not the one who could take the church to the next level. Because what did he do? After a while, he went back to Tarsus and found Saul and said, hey, dude, I I need some help. Because I I, I don't know what to do here. I I need you to come alongside me. And so what did he do? Saul came along, and for a full year, together, they ministered together. And I love it. He took a back seat to Paul's leadership, in, even in the missionary endeavors that went out from there. So God will not bless a church in the true sense of the word if the leaders are not setting an example for the rest of the church. So I, I, this is where I need you. This is where the deacons need you. This is where the elders need you. We need you to be praying for the leadership of the church. We have heard story upon story. If you look through uh, the news articles about moral failure within the church, what happens to the church? It implodes. The witness of the church just is destroyed. I'm not confessing this morning that I'm in moral failure, okay? I'm confessing I need you to be praying that God strengthens me. I'm praying 
that you will feel a need to encourage your leadership to remain holy, to remain in the Word. I need you to be praying for me. I need your support. Nathan, as a fellow elder of this church, needs your support. And not just him, and not just me. Our families need your support. The, elder, the deacons as well. The Schisler family needs your support. The Mescus family needs your support. The Pavin family needs your support. That you are praying for them daily. Because godly leadership is critical to God's blessing. God also blesses a church where godly leaders are devoted to teaching God's word. Barnabas and Saul met with the church for an entire year and taught a considerable amount of people. And then we read that these disciples were first called Christians there in Antioch. I love it. Teach. All of a sudden there's this result that the whole culture gave them a nickname of Christians. And literally, Christians uh, mean little Christ, little Christmen. They became, it's like, oh, well, they, they, they're preaching about this Christos, this, this Christ guy. So by nature, we're going to call them little Christians, little Christ people, because they're looking a lot like him. So what they may have looked at as an insult and a, you know, kind of, you know, a jab at him, the early church goes, thank you. Thank you. As we hear the word of God, we are being transformed to be more like Christ. And our entire culture recognizes that. Wouldn't that be beautiful if that happened here with us? Where we are being so transformed by the teaching of the word that we just don't hear it and go, oh, that was really nice. Maybe we'll talk about it in our missional communities and talk and wrestle with it a little bit more. But where it so impacts us that we become obedient to it. We actually hear it and we obey. That's one of the things that we teach our children. Listen and obey. We want our church to be obedient to the word of God as it is being preached. Listen to the word of God. Hear it. Let it transform your lives and then become little Christ that run about in this culture and bring about as we tell others about Jesus. We see transformation taking place wherever we are. That is, that is another way that God blesses the church is when godly leaders are teaching, teaching the word of God, and the church responds in obedience. Lastly, God blesses a church where the members are devoted to spontaneous, generous giving. Should I just leave it right there? God blesses a church where there is spontaneous, generous giving. Spontaneous. I love this. Agabus came. He was a prophet of that day, and he came to the church and said, hey, just so you know, there is going to be a massive famine that's going to take place. And immediately, you don't read in here that the leaders got together and said, okay, 
let's strategize, let's, get, let's figure out a giving program, okay? Let's have 40 days of generous giving. What do you think? Yeah, let's, let's do that. Let's write a whole book about it. Uh, no, how about we do this? Let's create a website where people can easily give online and the, well, maybe the, our church will have to bite off, you know, uh, 3 or 4%. But you know what? Let's, let's create a whole website so that in, in time, our people can just naturally give online. Now, what, what happened was the people immediately, spontaneously, as they heard that there was a need, what did they do? They gave. Spontaneously. And what? Generously. And again, you need to hear their spontaneous, generous giving was not out of legalism. And it wasn't out of guilt. It wasn't about a pastor standing up and saying, hey, we've got a responsibility here. You've got a responsibility. In fact, I, I even struggle with the word tithe because I think the tithe is lowballing God. Of course, I didn't hear an amen there. I think the tithe, honestly, is lowballing God. It's true. Because we really don't trust God fully with our finances yet, do we? We kind of look and just say, you know what? I'm going to give my X amount of dollars and, you know, they really got themselves in that mess themselves and so um, I'm going to give this. I hope this will cover some costs and I really hope somebody else steps up because this is all I'm going to do. Out of the great, uh, as we recognize God's grace and what he has really given us, that abundance of grace that while we were yet sinners, do you get that? While we were yet sinners, while we were still dead, 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 Christ died for us. That is amazing. If you really sit in that and think about that, of how while we were dead in our sins, Thinking of death, Christ died for us so that we could have life. And it's out of that, out of that, when we look at that and say, I don't believe it, he did that for me. That does what? It transforms you into a life, a full-orbed life of worship. Grace permeates everything that you do including your spontaneous, generous giving. Yesterday, for those of you who were not here, we talked about the budget, and I think that we got extra budget sheets in the back somewhere. The insanity of this, and I alluded to it at the beginning, the insanity of this budget is that it is an increase of 15%. Most people would say, hey, why don't we just play it safe? We just got into the building. Take it easy. You know what? There are perishing people apart from Christ. And the church has a mission. Put a dollar figure on that. 
dare you? Put a dollar figure on your own salvation. Let the Lord do it. To be honest, the church is an, of Antioch is an example for all of us. It's founded on these principles, founded by simple believers, simple people. And that's what I love about Missio Day Church. There is nothing fancy about us. But let me take that little delusional thing that there's something special about us. There's nothing fancy about us. There's nothing spectacular about us. We are simple people. Meeting in a simple place, having simple lives with an extraordinary Savior. Extraordinary. We are called to proclaim the gospel. It's God's power for, for salvation. First to our, our families and then to our extended families and then to our neighborhood and then to our workplaces and then above and beyond wherever God calls us to go. It, it, God calls us through the ministry of John and Missy Camiola to support them as they share the gospel in Joss, Nigeria. God calls us to share that, the power of God for salvation. He calls us to be a special people who have been saved by grace. And I'm going to tell you, as I read through this and I practiced on Friday, I cried and I'm going to try not. I covet for that church. I covet that church. I covet to be those people where every member is a minister of the gospel where it's not relying on me and leadership every member is a member everyone there's no no more excuses each person saved by grace has a ministry every one of us i want to be a part of a church like that and i believe don't get me wrong this isn't a kick in the side we are becoming that I want to see growth that is clearly coming from the Lord. I want to see, I want to experience His hand being with us. I want to experience that as we worship together. Like, like even this morning, I'm going, oh my gracious, this is a sweet moment of worship. Just rich. I want to experience His hand in worship with us. I want to experience it as we do a trick-or-treat pit stop or as we meet in missional communities, as we minister to Lorraine three or four doors up to the north of us, that we are experiencing God's hand with us. We are experiencing his blessing in big ways and small ways, in rich ways, and it's like, ah, oh, that was nice kind of ways. I want to be a part of a body that also desires that. to experience God's hand. I also, if I dare say it, I also want to be like Antioch where we become a center for worldwide impact. Think about that. This summer we had Ron Sanford here. Ron Sanford has no health care whatsoever. None. His heart for the gospel is obvious. 
but he has cut out health care because he still wants to minister to people who have never heard the gospel. As a church, what is our response? Do we want to be a center for worldwide impact that says, I will support people who are sending people? I also pray for that day that out of this family, we send people. It scares me to say that because that might be my kids. My Gracie, who has a growing heart for Jesus Christ and generous, she may be the kid that we send to an unreached people group. But I want us, not just with our dollars going out, but with our sending people out, to be a worldwide center for impact. Because then the glory won't go to church growth principles or to any one man. But the glory will go to the Lord of the church. Who strongly supports those who, whose hearts are for him. Those are my desires. Children's ministry would kill me if I would be discussing God is calling this church like every other church to hear that God is calling this church like every other church to greatness not our own greatness but to his greatness he's calling us the question is Will we be obedient? Let's pray. Father God, you, uh, you are faithful to us even when we are not faithful. You are faithful to us even when we question your ability to be faithful. Your hand is with us, but yet sometimes we just don't even recognize the blessings among us. God, I pray that this morning that as the word of God has been preached and laid out, Lord, that your spirit will then apply it to our lives in such a way that we are changed from the inside out, from this building to every corner, every nook and cranny of our lives. God, I pray for that your hand will be with us in extraordinary ways that we will experience your blessing as we listen and obey God I give you this church it's, it's not even mine in the first place to give but I give you this church to use for your purposes. May we be set apart for your purposes in this community and in this world. Use us, Lord. We pray this in the name of Jesus.